I had already made the six figures and I already checked out. I don't care about this job anymore because I don't want to make more money. I was in a hotel room in New Jersey. 5.15, the alarm clock goes off. I wake up, sit up, slide to the edge of the bed. And the best way to explain it, this was my psyche at the time, there's 10 televisions on in your head and every single one is on a different station. So just anxious, loudness, noise, overwhelm. And it's talking to me. You're stuck at this job forever. If you leave, what will your friends think? What will your family think? You're never gonna make this amount of money again. And what are you gonna do if you leave? That was the hardest time for me where I just wanted to be gone. That was my psyche. I just don't wanna be here. Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selleck, and I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey, the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately, success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas what I call the seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, seven hatters. In this episode, we speak with Kevin Palmieri and dive deep into hats one and four, the soul and the entrepreneur as we break through the veil of despair and rock bottom and come out the other side of hope. Kevin is the CFO, founder, and co-host of Next Level University, along with Alan Lazaros, a previous guest on The Seven Hats. They host a global top 100 self-improvement podcast with over 1,100 episodes and hundreds of thousands of listens in over 140 countries. Kevin's viewpoints on consistency, commitment, habits, mindset, confidence, fear, relationships, limiting beliefs, and everything in between are not to be missed. So if you're ready to take the elevator up from rock bottom to the penthouse of self-improvement, let's welcome Kevin to The Seven Hats. Kevin, welcome to The Seven Hats. Yuval, I'm excited to be here. I appreciated our behind-the-scenes chat. I'm hoping this will go as well as that did. Oh, it will. It will. You know, I'm really excited to speak with you today. Uh, You are the co-host of the popular Next Level University podcast. And this is the cool part. Your partner, Alan Lazaros, was one of my first guests on The Seven Hats. You know, he's he's an awesome guy. And the two of you, because I've been listening to your show, are a real dynamic team. Now, you have a very interesting past and a real entrepreneurial roller coaster journey that got you to where you are right now. And I'm excited to dig deeper into that story. But as we do with all of our guests, we go back to where it all began and try to understand how your path shaped your later years. So, Kevin, where were you born and how was your childhood like? I was born in a little town called Milford, Massachusetts. I grew up in a town called Uxbridge, Massachusetts. And uh, to your point, growing up very young, I had this realization that there was no dad around. So I grew up without my father in the picture. I remember, it's interesting looking back because you don't realize how much this does shape you, but I remember being in like first or second grade and them going around the classroom in the early days of the school year and saying, what do your parents do? Hmm. And I remember just making it up. I was like, construction. You know, my dad's in construction. I didn't know my dad's name. I didn't know what my dad looked like. I had no idea if he was even living. There were times in my life where I thought he had passed away and it didn't really matter that much. Um, so yeah, I was raised by my mom and my grandmother. I lived with them for, we, we all lived together and that was truly amazing. And it was, it was an interesting thing. I grew up in a small town. There wasn't a lot to do. We used to ride our bikes. We used to come in when the streetlights came on, that sort of thing. But one thing my mom forced me to do when I was young, much to my dismay, is she made me play baseball. She said, Kev, you got to start playing sports. I know you've never played baseball, but you should play baseball. So I started playing baseball when I was nine, and I made every single all-star team that I ever tried out for. I was always one of the better players on the team. So I appreciate the fact that my mom made me do that. And 
another interesting thing for me is I did not have a lot of money growing up. We were definitely lower middle class and there were times where we talked about not being able to pay for rent, not mm. knowing how we were going to pay for rent. I never went hungry, which I'm grateful for, but I, that definitely shaped me into a lot of what happened to me later. And now I'm the CFO of the company. I don't think that's any coincidence. It came from a lack of money. I knew pretty early on, Yuval, that I didn't want to do what everybody else was doing. So we get to high school and all of my friends are like, we're going to go away to college. My guidance counselor is, hey, you should go to college. It's going to help you in your future. And I remember thinking, I don't know what I want to do in my life, but I know it's not college. So all my friends go to college and I got a job at a local gas station and I was pumping gas from six in the morning till two in the afternoon. That was my first full-time job. And that was my, my initial dive into corporate America, I guess. And I remember it was hard for me because there would be people that would come in that I went to high school with. And I just felt bad about myself mm. and I don't, nothing against that job. Anybody who's doing that, there's nothing wrong with that. But I just remember like there would be the girls that I had crushes on would come in and I was ashamed, mm. you know, people I went to high school with would come in and I was a little bit ashamed. It's like everybody else is out there getting an education and getting better. And it doesn't feel like that's happening for me. So eventually I decided, you know what? I'm going to get a job as a personal trainer. That's what I'm going to do. And, uh, <laughs> I got fired from my gas station job because I told them I was looking for another job. I ended up going and cleaning floors at a hospital for some time. And then I ended up becoming a personal trainer. And I job hopped from there. I did construction. I, I drove a truck. I, I was a forklift operator. But eventually I got this very unique opportunity. I went to this trade school for two weeks. At the end of this two weeks, they said, we're going to match you up with an awesome company. I said, all right, I don't know what this is, but I'll give it a try. So I go through and I learn this thing called weatherization. Mm. My job is to come into your house and make your house more energy efficient. Nice. I graduate, we get to the end of the two weeks and they say, we're going to match you up with the best company. And I said, okay, I don't know what that means. They said, this company is going to pay you anywhere from 50 to $100 an hour, but it requires travel. And I was like, I'm in <laughs> 50 to $100 an hour. I've never thought I was going to make that. I'm in. So I get this job and uh, I start this, this unique path where I'm making money. And that was very strange for me. So if you... If you fast forward to when I was 25, from all outside standards, that's when I had the dream life. I had a, a girlfriend who was a model. I had just done a bodybuilding show. I was in the best shape of my life. I was making good money, sports car, new apartment. And yeah, that, that's when I realized that success wasn't actually success to me. So what did your mom tell you about your dad? And when, when did you find out the story of what happened to your dad? Oh, man. My mom, I think for a while, it was kind of like an unspoken agreement of just like, we're not going to talk about this. There's no need to. And then I think when I was probably like nine or 10, my mom basically said, your dad was into drugs. Your dad was in a motorcycle gang. He wasn't there. There's a movie called Liar, Liar. I don't yeah. know if you've ever seen it. Oh yeah, it. love it. And the premise is the dad always makes promises and he never keeps them and yeah. it hurts the child. Yeah. My mom said it was basically like that. She said, I told him to get out of your life unless he was going to stay all the way in. And I told him I would never ask him for child support as long as he stayed out. And that, that was what I was told. And I'm glad that happened in retrospect. But at the time, it was difficult to understand for sure. Were you fantasizing about the relationship with your dad at times? I, no, I think it was... One of the interesting things, Yuval, is I believe a lot of my friends' families kind of looked at me as like the broken kid, mm. and they kind of brought me into their families. I, I had three really good friends growing up, and they, their families, I would stay over there. They'd make me dinner. I would literally be over there like every night. They'd take me on vacation. They'd take me out to dinner. So I think that I had father figures in a way, I never expected it. I didn't realize it at the time until I looked back. But the idea of calling somebody dad was such a foreign concept to me. I, don't, mm. I did not imagine it at all. I was so angry. I was just angry that he wasn't there more than anything. Any siblings? Nope, only child. Got it. And so what did your mom expect of you? I don't think anybody in my family expected much. They're there was a lot of crime. There was a lot of interactions with the law, we'll say, in yeah. my family. So 
one of the things I was taught by my entire family was do as I say, not as I've done. Yeah. And I think my mom just, and she still says this to this day, I don't care what you do as long as you're happy. That's, I think that's what my mom has always wanted because I think that she realized I was very much the underdog. I'm, I heard this story so early on. The athletic director at my school was still the athletic director when I was there. He was there when my uncle was there. And my uncle like held him out the window by his belt and like the cops got called and he ended up being my athletic director. So like, that's what I was working with back then. And everybody knew the name Paul Mary is maybe a, a negative name. So I think my mom was just hoping I made it better than they did, honestly. Wow. All right. So material success came your way early in life, but it was a facade, as I recall by researching your story. At one point, you were about to lose it all. But before we go there, what were you really looking for, right? What did you feel you would gain at the core level by chasing the money, the girl, the perfect body? And when you achieved those goals, did you actually find fulfillment? So you got to this amazing job, you're, doing, you're living the American dream. What's that all about? And what are you really hoping for at the core level? Mm. At the deepest level, I was looking for significance. I was looking for people to look at me and say, wow, I wish I could have that, or wow, he must be so amazing because he accomplished that. I was looking for significance. And I think at a deep level, that probably goes back to not having male significance in my life, not having male significance that I valued in my life. And I think I assumed if somebody sees me pull up in a certain car, I'll get a certain level of respect. Or, you know, people will think more of me than I am. If I'm in really good shape, I will get the respect of everybody who wants what I have. And I really think that's what it was. I assumed if I had what everybody wanted, everybody would love me, regardless of my own introspection not happening. And honestly, it made it worse when I got it. Because you have this realization that, okay, in theory, I have everything I've ever wanted, and in some ways, way more than I ever thought I could get. But the void has actually gotten bigger. Because now it's, I have to go back to the drawing board and what does this mean? Is it more money? Like, do I need more money? Do I need a different car? Do I need a different partner? And that was the really hard part for me is I had to like look inward. Mm -hmm. And I realized I didn't like who I was. That yeah. was the hardest part for me. Well, that's, that's interesting. And that's a good point. Let's, let's delve a little bit deeper into that one because I think a lot of entrepreneurs face this realization at one point or another, especially early on in their success. Mm. Is this all there is? What's more? What's the point? Is another car going to really make me happy? And they usually hit a low. I did back in 2010 when I put in everything into my work and was about to lose everything because no, nothing else had meaning except for my work at that point. So the past couple of years, we're now in 2022, the year 2022, the past couple of years were tough for a collective human race. You know, many have decided uh, to take their lives in order to escape, you know, the realities of life's difficulties, whether it was business or COVID, whatever it might be. You know, I lost a dear friend of mine, his name was Albert, to suicide. And that experience really shook me, you know, to the core. It was, it was really the first time that suicide was in my inner circle. It's one thing to to hear it on TV and to know that it exists, it's another thing to actually happen to you and someone you know. And I still can't really understand how someone can go through with it, right? But anyway, that's just a different mindset. But you had contemplated suicide early on in your life. What was your psyche at that time? And so that's number one. What was your psyche at that time? Did you actually attempt it? Because thinking and attempting it is two different things. And if so, what was the one thing that prevented you from taking action? Mm. So it happened several times. It happened probably three times. Okay. My psyche was, I felt, I felt hopeless. I felt helpless. I felt trapped. And I felt like I had no control of the future. It, the best way to explain it, I was living in a, in a very nice uh, apartment just outside of Boston, security cameras, everything. It's just amazing, an amazing apartment. And we rented the top floor, the third floor. And I remember I was home alone one day 
Everybody else was gone. And I was playing Call of Duty on the bed. And I remember like putting the clicker down and just saying to myself, if this is what life is, like whatever this gray feeling is, I don't really want to do it anymore. Mm. I, don't, I don't want to do this. Like this can't be all there is. I feel like I'm missing something. And my girlfriend at the time got home and I told her, and then I ended up going to therapy. And that was my first initial dive into therapy. I never, the one that really stood out the most for me, I had a, I had the podcast already and I was juggling the podcast in my job. Mm-hmm. I had already made the six figures and I already checked out. I don't yeah. care about this job anymore because I don't want to make more money. And I was in a hotel room in New Jersey, which was like six hours from where I lived. 5.15, the alarm clock goes off. I wake up, sit up, slide to the edge of the bed. And the best way to explain it, this was my psyche at the time, there's 10 televisions on in your head and every single one is on a different station. Wow. So just anxious, loudness, noise, overwhelm. And it's, it's talking to me. You're stuck at this job forever. If you leave, what will your friends think? What will your family think? You're never going to make this amount of money again. And what are you going to do if you leave? Be a podcaster? that was the hardest time for me where I just wanted to be gone. That was my psyche. I just don't want to be here. I never took action. I never had a plan. I never facilitated anything in in physical form. Um, And what I think really helped, I think human beings, it's either pain or permission that that really makes us change our, our cycle. So I texted Alan. The day in that hotel room, Ruval, I texted Alan and said, hey, I'm having these dark thoughts. I don't know what to do. What do I do? And he gave me permission. He gave me permission and said, Kev, you've changed so much over the last few years. I think you need to change your environment. Where a lot of people might have sent that message and somebody say, well, nobody likes their job, right? That's just par for the course. He gave me permission and the pain was great enough. And then I ended up leaving that job. But I never had a plan it was just a gray life at that point. Hmm. You mentioned Alan. Let's tell the audience how you met Alan and <laughs> how was he? How he came into your life? Yeah, uh, Alan and I went to middle school together, and we went to high school together. In middle school, towards the tail end, I played spin the bottle with Alan and the popular girls <laughs> in his basement, and that's we were really good friends. In high school, Alan was an academic, unreasonably smart. I was a jock. We did not get along very well. We didn't like each other very well, uh, very much. And then after high school, he went to WPI and he did his thing. He was making a boatload of money. We reconnected at a party and he said, I'm, I have a podcast. I want you to come on. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but I'm in. And from that time forward, Alan had, had mentored me, really. I mean, Alan's my business partner, my co-host, all that. But like, he's my mentor. He's been mentoring me for the last five years. He's been studying personal development a lot longer than I have. Much of what I know is because of him. And then he was my first guest. I interviewed him. And when I left my job, I mean, we built a real strong relationship while I was working. But when I left my job, we were like, hey, let's do this together. I mean, we already talk every day. We're both podcasters. We're both speakers. We both believe self-improvement will help the world. We both grew up without dads right? We both had our own adversities. It made sense. So he is a a best friend, a brother, a business partner, a mentor. He has many, many, many different things. uh, And he is much different than I am, which is one of my favorite things. I listened to that episode, I believe it was episode eight or so, seven or eight out of the thousand thousand plus that you've done. So for (laughs) some reason- From hyperconscious. It wasn't even, it wasn't even, yeah. yeah. yeah, go on. Our first six got deleted off like certain platforms. I don't know yeah, why. I was but, like, looking Alan for the was, first one. I got so yeah. upset. I'm like, what's the first yeah. one? <laughs> yeah. Alan was number one. Number one. It's probably good it, del- it got deleted because it wasn't good. <laughs> so just going back to the suicide mm-hmm. discussion that we had, you've had a thousand shows. You met a lot of entrepreneurs. Have you faced this scenario with other entrepreneurs who came to you with the notion of, is this all there is? I'm not in a good space. Yeah, a hundred percent. I that's a very common thing that we as humans assume that something will fill a void. And I think as entrepreneurs, they take it another step and they say, Well, I'm gonna go get those things. And they often find, yeah, for sure. And one of the one of the things that really impacted me and 
helped my perspective is we had somebody on the podcast named Kevin Hines. Kevin Hines jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and he said something on the show of, you know, I had so much pain in my past. I was looking for a way out. I just couldn't do it anymore. But when I jumped, the second I jumped, I realized I made a mistake. Mm. You know, I, I hear that a lot yeah. from people that they regretted after yeah, yeah. taking action. And that really it really spoke to me because not that many people live to tell it, especially jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. So that really, that really stood out to me. And I think the other thing too is usually it's some sort of pain that gives us the permission to make a change. And I think when we realize, okay, I have blank, 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 but I don't have the thing I've been searching for this entire time. I think entrepreneurs probably find it at a different level because you're willing to go above and beyond just saying like, well, I'll, have, I'll be happy if I have a certain amount of money. Well, I started a business. I have this, I have this, I have this. I think that the more successful you become, the harder that awareness can be, especially if you get it all at once, which I think a lot of people do. You hear about midlife crises. I think that's why they happen. Yeah. So you both had a podcast, right? Alan had a podcast. Mm -hmm. You had a podcast. Yep. You know, the decision to go and find a co-founder, a partner is a really difficult one. And- needs to be thought of a lot, right? Because so many things can go wrong. Why did you decide, because you're starting a podcast, you're your own man now, you're kind of in a situation where, you know, I'm going to probably quit my job and do this full time because I enjoy it. Why did you think you needed a co-founder? Is it because you didn't think you can do it yourself? Is it because one plus one equals three? What was the mindset behind bringing Alan and kind of marrying him in a sense at that time. Yeah, I, I didn't believe I could do it myself. I didn't believe we could do it together. Mm. I, I never mind on my, on my own, but I just knew. Number one, I know Alan's smart. That was like a big part of his. Like this guy's kind of a genius. So like we're gonna get further than we would if he wasn't. Yeah, that was one part of it. This the second part of it was him and I just always got along really well. And I think subconsciously, I knew that Alan would make me a better man. I'm getting emotional. Um, that's what we're playing for. Uh, we used to have conversations in our first studio, which was a bedroom, his sister's old bedroom. And we never once said, I'm going to make more money than you. That was never it. We said to each other, I can be a better man than you. That's what I'm playing for. I can have a better relationship than you. I can be a better man. My character can be stronger. And I think subconsciously I knew that he would make me a better man. That was, a, that was an important part of it for me. And then the, the deeper part was, and Alan asks me this all the time. He says, why did you believe me? Like everything mm. I told you, why did you believe me? And I always say, I don't know. I just knew you were different. Mm. I don't know how I knew you were different. I don't know if I know in what ways you're different. But I knew you knew more than most people did. I don't know how. Because I quite literally went all in and, and kind of bet my life on Alan. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm the CFO. I'm the original founder. Alan's the CEO. Alan's the visionary. He tells me what to do. And that's the way it should be. And I'm, I'm grateful I have that. It was a feeling. It was a feeling of this man is heart-driven more than anybody I've ever met. Like, the amount of pain he's gone through for this journey is more than I have. And I've gone through a lot but I know he's doing it for the right reason. And that's what he plays for. And that, that was it for me. So there's always times, especially in the first few years of any business or venture, especially with mm -hmm. a co-founder, when things are not going well, you're yeah. just knocking yourself against the wall. You're getting punched in the morning, punched in the afternoon and punched in the face. And you got to get up like that blow up doll called Bozo. And when was the first, and I'm just assuming that's the case because I'm, gonna, I'm a betting man. When was that first conversation that you looked at each other and you're like, I don't know if this fucking thing is worth it. Like, let's just do <laughs> something else. And what did you discuss and how did you overcome that? Transparently, that never, that never happened. Nice. It's, it's, never, it's never even been close. It, the, we've had our arguments. Like, we've definitely had our arguments. But it, it was always like, you know, Alan at one time like made a joke, like an inappropriate joke. And I said, dude, cut that out. We don't, that's not what we do. We don't On the do podcast? That. No, behind the scenes. Uh -huh. And I said, we don't do that. That's not us. That's not who we aspire to be. Like, get rid of that stuff. Not going to happen. And we cried. We both cried about it in a parking lot in Los Angeles. Uh -huh. And it was a brutal conversation. 
but it was a really big growth point. The, the pain, the biggest pain for me was not the biggest pain for Alan because it was different. I remember we were on a coaching call with David Meltzer. It was me, Alan, and David Meltzer. Yeah. And I said, Dave, how do I make more money? Alan is so future-oriented, he, and he's really good at living below his means. I can't pay my bills. Mm. I'm $35,000 in credit card debt. Like, what do I do? And I remember Dave said, don't worry about it so much. And Alan was like, see? And I was like, no, that's not the answer I need. <laughs> like, I don't think you two understand. I don't think the way you do. Yeah. I'm not a hyper future visionary. Like, I know you know it's going to be okay, but right now it's not. I can't buy groceries for my girlfriend. Like, that, that level of... I can't fix my car. I can't make rent. I know that's not what you're dealing with, but that's where I am right now. Those, the biggest issues Alan and I have had is his lack of understanding of me and my lack of understanding of him and the way he thinks naturally. So how did you deal with that segment of your life where you got to go to your girlfriend and say, mm. you know, we can't afford McDonald's today, yeah. honey, I'm sorry. Mm. And how do you not go and get another job? Because you don't know when that when success comes, right? Yeah. And if Alan is future thinking, which a lot of entrepreneurs are, and they'll paint a rosy forecast, you're more in the real world, kind of the now. How do you reconcile it? And how do you not tell Alan, Alan, sorry, guy, I love you, but I'm going and getting another job because I need food. <laughs> It's interesting because when I reconnected with my now wife, uh, we made each other a promise. She said, you can't force me to be an entrepreneur. And I said, I will never do that. I said, you can't ever try to take the podcast away. It's, I've traded everything for this. I, I, will, I will die before I give this up. And I, like, I have come close several times. Yeah. That, that conversation really helped us because I think it level set. I, like, this is a non-negotiable for me. It's a non-negotiable. And... I, I just kind of put my tail between my legs and I dealt with the shame. I dealt with the shame of saying, Hey, can you cover rent? Can, can you cover rent? Can I borrow money from your girlfriend? I, I just, yeah. Yeah. My girlfriend, uh, yeah. She was my girlfriend at the time. She covered rent. She'd loan me money. I remember my car broke down. I couldn't get it fixed. Like I was driving around with no brakes and a hole in my engine with a car that I didn't have inspected because I, it just was what it was, but it was, it was a very, I honestly think in retrospect, it was one of the best things that ever happened. Obviously, when you're going through it, it's not, it's brutal. But it made me realize, one, like you are capable of way more than you realize. And then number two, I look at money vastly different than I ever have before. Because yeah, growing up, I didn't have it, but not like that. Not to the point where I got sent to creditors for late credit card payments, like that, that kind of stuff. So I think it gives me, when you've been that low, the level of certainty I have now, it's like yeah. all things considered, things are pretty easy. Yeah. yeah, I might work a lot and I might be overwhelmed, but I'm not worried about rent. I'm not worried about groceries. That, that's like a really grateful place to be. And I know it sounds weird saying it, but yeah, that's, it's a really grateful place to be compared to where I was three years ago. So let's talk about support because obviously you're now married. So, you know, she's stuck around. <laughs> yes. um, tell it because I, and again, I asked this question not to probe into your relationship, but sure. it is extremely important for entrepreneurs to understand what they're going to embark on when, they're, when they decide to become entrepreneurs and having a relationship at the same time with someone yeah. who might not have the mindset of an entrepreneur. Give us some of those difficult moments where you had to convince her, maybe she had to convince you. Somewhere along the line, you've had nights staying up and night in bed talking about what's going on, what are we going to do? Where's the support? Like, were you give us the support scenario between the two of you during that time yeah. period when it was difficult? Yeah, it was, it was just me trying to be. It's interesting, right? Because when you're an entrepreneur, and it goes full circle, Alan was telling me the future was going to be brighter. I was telling Taryn the future is going to be brighter. It was, it was very interesting how when it comes to Alan, I didn't believe it. But when it came to this relationship, I had to believe it in order to actually make it okay. So mm. it was very much, 
like, babe, I promise this time next year, things will look different. Th that was really all I could say. Like, and then I would try to give her stats. Like, well, we have X amount of clients now. We only had X amount of clients at this time last year. Like things are going to continue growing. I think that we moved in together at the beginning of COVID. Wow. Right before that we were living apart and we weren't as tapped in when we moved in together that's when I think she saw what it was like to be me more because mm. we had a one bedroom apartment. My studio was in the living room and she heard me podcast. She heard me coach. She saw me getting up at four 30 every day. She saw me working till however long it took. So in a way it was me more convincing her that look, I, I know this is going to happen. I promise. I promise. I promise I'll be able to pay. I promise I'll be able to pay you back. I promise I'll be able to do that because she's more certainty driven than I am. And I'm pretty certainty-driven, but she is too. So it was really that. I'm just grateful she trusted. Yeah. It was, it was way easier than I know many people have it. I, I'm very blessed, and, and I'm grateful for that. And I don't take that for granted. But it required a lot of communication, a lot of vulnerability, and just sharing, look, I know this sucks. And I didn't think it was going to be like this either. But this is where we are now. But I promise it'll get better. I promise. Yeah, for sure. And so, obviously, you're a a diehard entrepreneur, right? You had to do it. And, yeah. you know, hat number three, of course, is relationship with others, which is so important because you need that support. So you have the support, but you're grinding, you're working your ass off, right? What is the one habit that you can look back on and say that contributed to where I am today? Mm. I would say learning every day. I know it's a simple one and maybe a one that gets said often, but you know, I've learned for at least a half hour every day for the last five years. And it's not just what I know, but it's helped me actually become more confident. You know, it's like at one point I didn't, I wasn't confident enough to do something like this because I didn't think I knew enough. That's always been my biggest battle is I don't feel like I'm good enough because I don't know enough. Mm. And that all happened. I was learning a lot, but it really, it really tapped in for me. Alan and I were at Brant Pinvidic's house. Brant Pinvidic is the producer of The Biggest Loser. Mm -hmm. And we were, we interviewed him in his movie theater and we're, he's cooking for us on his grill out by his pool, his Benny nice. Hanna. He puts on a chef. It was, it was wild. But afterwards, him and Alan started talking about business. And here I am at a mansion in California, like living the dream. And I felt terrible. I felt like an imposter. I felt stupid. I didn't feel smart enough. And I just reclused and just like let them do their thing. And I told Alan after, I said, I, I don't feel smart enough. I don't know what to do. And he said, you should just learn more. Like, here you go. Put this on your system of success. Track this every day. Like, just read every day. And that really locked it in for me of, it's okay to say you're not good enough yet. I wasn't. I wasn't smart enough yet. That was, a, that was probably the thing. I might not be the smartest or the fastest or the strongest, but if I can be more consistent with learning, you know, this guy, this guy really does become the limit. I love that. And you're the CFO of your company. Mm. Usually CFOs go through <laughs> school, yep. potentially business school, probably finance, and mostly an MBA. And you didn't have that. Um, no. What made you confident that number one, you can do it? And what made Alan confident that you could do it? <laughs> How did that come about? Yeah, uh, I'm still not completely confident that I can do it. <laughs> Be, being honest and transparent, Alan was confident because Alan taught me. I, Alan said, look, you're obsessed in a good way with money and you're one of the most consistent human beings on the planet that I've ever met. All you got to do is track these numbers every day. That's it. And I'll help you set up the spreadsheet. I tr this is like, this was really hard for me in the beginning, Yuval, because um, here's Kevin, he's the, the founder and blah, blah, blah. And it was hard for me to, to not take all the credit. And it, it's, I'm ashamed to say that, but at the time, that's, that's what I thought I needed. Now I just tell it like it is. Alan taught me how to track the finances. He taught me what numbers to look for. We have weekly CFO meetings and I've studied very hard, but I'm, the, I'm consistent. I think cons a consistent seven is better than an inconsistent 10. And that's, that's what I'm going with right now. Maybe I'm not a seven, maybe it's a five, but if a consistent five can outwork a inconsistent 10, I take the, the consistent five all day. I, I would even say a consistent one <laughs> is better than an inconsistent 10. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that, that's a tweetable moment for everybody. You should, you should pay attention to, um, to that habit because I think it's one of the most important for success. So, 
why do you think you're so passionate about helping people? Does it have something to do with your dad not being there around as a kid? You weren't getting help and you're just, you want to, you don't want others to feel like maybe you felt without a figure, you know, a father figure that, that usually teaches the kid, you know, the son, mm. what, how to live life, right? And how to become a man. What, yeah. what, why do you think you're so passionate? I think I'm passionate because I've seen so many people be taken advantage of by other people, not necessarily the world. Man, you can get take advantage, uh, be taken advantage of for circumstance, but that's one thing that never happened to me. I, I've never really been taken advantage of, mm. and I'm blessed to say that. That's but awesome. Our our community is is women and humans who identify as women, and I can't tell you how many horror stories I've heard of them being abused physically, like. That, that's a big part of it for me is our audience comes to us because we're different men. Mm. And I take such pride in that. I take such pride in that. But I want to fight for them. I, I don't want to let them down. I want them to realize, look, I know you've been mistreated. I know you've been taken advantage of in the past, but that's not going to happen here. That's not normal. That doesn't have to be your life. I've seen so many people who their self-worth is so low mm. because other people have told them that they're not worthy. Yeah. And I want to help them build that up. I, that part of it is, is personal to me too. Cause I didn't have a lot of self-worth, but I've just seen so many people who are taken advantage of and they don't know they're being taken advantage of. And I feel like I have the courage to say, look, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way because whoever is taking advantage of you can't take advantage of me. That's not going to happen. Cause I, I won't stand for that. And I, I won't stand for it for you. So I think that's one of the things that's really really impactful for me. And the other part of it is I see, I see a lot of people who they're raising children. And I understand that like, if, if you haven't dealt with your own stuff, you're most likely going to pass that on to your children. Yeah. And you're going to pass it on to your family. And that's something I want to try to help. I, I was a young man at one point lost. Alan was a young man lost. Right. And that, that's an, an important part for me as well. Alan and I were at the airport. We were getting ready to go to Florida, I think. And, and I don't mean this in any judgmental way, but this really just brings it home. There was a, a mother and a father, and I think there was three kids. And the mother's doing her best to wrangle the kids, and they're all over the place, and they're spilling their fries and knocking their sandwiches over. And the dad staggers over drunk mm. at like 10 in the morning. And he goes to take one of the kids for food or a drink and he's dragging them, literally dragging them across the airport floor. And Alan and I both got super emotional and it, that, whatever that is, whatever that void, whatever that negativity is in the world, that's one of the things we're trying really, really hard to raise awareness to and give opportunity to change for sure. I love that. Authenticity, I think, just oozes out of you and Alan, so which is what I, I love. That. I Let's talk about another subject matter that I believe you're really well versed at. Let's talk about achievement versus fulfillment versus mm. happiness. You speak with many entrepreneurs who grind each day, right? To achieve the material success that you found early on in your life. Do you believe that entrepreneurs confuse the emotion, fulfillment? I think it's an emotion, but fulfillment with happiness when achieving their goals? Yeah, I believe happiness is results driven. So if this podcast goes well, I'll be happy. Regardless of how this podcast goes, I will be fulfilled because I'm in alignment with purpose. So yeah, 100%. And I think the interesting thing is if, if people, entrepreneurs specifically, were optimizing for fulfillment, I think they would run their, business, their businesses differently. Why? You might why, do you, not, why do you say that how, and how? You might not set your goals the way you're setting them because if it's like, I want to have a net worth of $150 million by the time I'm 40 versus I want to, I want to impact 150 million people by the time I'm 40. Those are completely different lives and it's going to force you to focus on different things, learn different things. I think that's what happens and you'll see this often. Why do people give back at the end of their lives? I think it's because they realize that's what they wanted to do the whole time, but it was just never was the way that they were aligned in their business. And I think fulfillment is you being on purpose aligned with what your soul wants you to do. And I think happiness is just results driven. If I have a nice car, I'm happy, right? I mean, recently we got $30,000 moved over to our bank account. I was happy for like 20 minutes. And then it was like, okay, back. 
Mm -hmm. it, it just goes, it goes away. But luckily I have fulfillment to fall back on. If I didn't, I'd be miserable. Yeah. That I would have thought that what should have made me happy for the rest of my life and it didn't. So yeah, I think it would change the way people operated. You know, the question, if I gave you a billion dollars, what would you do? Like that's your, that's your purpose. I don't think so. I think it's, if you never had to worry about money again, what would you do in service to mankind? In service of, because that means you're helping. That means that you're going to be more fulfilled because you're actually, it's deeper. It's a deeper feeling than, well, I'd, I'd sit on the beach and drink margaritas all day. I don't think you would. I think you'd get very sick of that very quickly. I just, that's my belief. I believe that humans require progress. And without progress, that's a Tony Robbins quote, progress equals happiness. I think making progress towards helping others is fulfilling. Alan told a story actually about a book that he read of the dying and regret. Mm -hmm. You want to tell us, I'm, I'm sure you know that story. You want to tell us a little bit about that story and, and potentially what, what did you learn from that experience with him? Yeah, there was a, an Australian author by the name of Bronnie Ware. We were lucky enough to interview her. Uh, she wrote a book called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. She was a hospice nurse for, I don't remember how long, but she would hear these stories from her patients who were getting ready to pass away about the regrets that they had the most. And I think the number one regret was, I regret living a life based on others' wants for me and not my own. Mm. And when you really think about it, if that's the last thing somebody regretted, like the biggest thing that they had throughout their entire life, that is, that is something. And it helped me a lot because it's like, we all fear judgment. I, I would love to say I don't. Somebody left me a negative comment on one of my posts the other day and I was like distraught for the day. First I wanted to fight him, then I wanted to save him, you know. So I, I'm the same way, I deal with that too. But I think what it shows is you're not gonna remember, the thing that you're afraid of happening, if it's getting laughed at or whatever it may be, you're not gonna remember at the end of your life. That's not gonna be the thing that you're focused on. I am deathly afraid of walking up to a door, pulling it and it not opening. I know it doesn't make any sense, but if that happens, I'm not gonna remember that on my deathbed. That's not gonna be what I'm thinking about. Yeah. Right. So I, I think it is a, is a friendly reminder that human beings forget that all things considered life is pretty short. Mm. It's not, we're not here for a long time. No. And I, I think we get so caught up in looking good that we forget that there's a lot more to life than that. And you're probably going to regret not taking certain chances when you're on your deathbed, especially if it was based on, well, I didn't want to look bad or I didn't want this person to judge me. I think it helps break the paradigm. It helps show what you think is super serious might not be nearly as serious as you actually think it is. Yeah. Uh, one of the regrets was probably fear, mm. fear of you name it, right? So I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs are motivated by fear. Yeah. Do you think that's a good thing, a bad thing? And have you experienced that in your life and career? Oh, I've definitely, yeah. I, especially when I was broke, I was fearful of not being able to, to pay bills. I think it's good as long as it's controlled. Mm. So if you imagine, you know, fear will get you away from a tiger if you're getting chased by a tiger. Yeah, exactly. But, but you can only run so far before your body breaks down, right? So what I think is an important distinction for people, you have your comfort zone, you have your growth zone, and you have your anxiety zone. I think if you're living in fear, you're living in your anxiety zone. Yeah. And Alan and I have discussed this. It's, I don't think it's a coincidence that a year and a half, two years into this journey, I started having panic attacks. I don't think that's a coincidence because I was living in Alan's learning zone. I was in my anxiety zone. I was living in fear every single day. I was getting on planes when I was afraid to fly. I was interviewing people that I wasn't ready to interview. I was coaching when I wasn't ready to coach. I was broke. I was living in too much fear, I think. And I think that took a pretty large mental toll on me that is good now and I'm strong now, but I think I lived in fear for too long. And I try to give that advice to other people too. Like you got to understand where your comfort zone is, where your growth zone is and where your anxiety zone is. You can't live in the anxiety zone. The, the air is too thin. The air is way too thin. So I think you can use it as bouts. Sure. It'll make you, it'll give you a little extra motivation, a little extra motive for action, but it's not sustainable. And it's not the, it's not the lifeblood of your success. I would say. You mentioned something really interesting though. You said, I was interviewing people that I shouldn't have interviewed. I was doing things that I shouldn't have been doing. 
mm. almost to the point of now let's discuss imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. So I've interviewed one of the world experts of imposter syndrome. Her name is Claire Yosa. And she defined imposter syndrome as that secret fear of others judging us the way that we're judging us. Mm. What is your experience with imposter syndrome? And I'm not even looking at, I don't want you to answer in the past. Let's talk about now. Because, yeah, it's easy to say in the past you probably had imposter syndrome because of your circumstance and your results. But now you're doing awesome. You got a thousand plus podcast show, which most don't make it past seven. And you're kind of living the life. You just got married. Congratulations. I saw the, the, the posts with you and your wife walking on some creek in some mountain. <laughs> Look them up. But what's that feeling now? Do you still have imposter syndrome? And how can you help others who come to you with imposter syndrome if you have imposter syndrome right now? Yeah, um, I went on five podcast, four podcasts, five podcasts today. One of the podcasts was about marketing. I literally before was like, I should probably cancel this because I'm not an expert on marketing. I don't, I don't even know. Marketing is not my strong suit. I don't, what if they ask me about like, what are the pillars of marketing? I'm not going to know the answer. Genuinely. Uh, you've all, before I, before I came on here, I listened to your show. I looked up your website. I checked you out and I had a moment of like, ah, what if he asked me a question I don't know? Or what if he, and this is my fear. What if he doesn't think I know anything? Like, what if he doesn't think I'm valuable? That's the biggest one for me. And that happens all the time. It ha- like, I texted Alan recently. I did a podcast breakthrough session with somebody. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do these anymore. And he's like, what's, what do you mean? What's going on? And I said, like, this person didn't respect me at all. Like, they just like, they're like, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. Yep, I know that. And I get off the call and I was like, I don't know anything. I've like, all of this is for nothing. I thought I knew stuff and I don't know anything. So yes, I get it. I don't know. I would say every day. I would, I would say I probably get it every day. What has helped me and what I always try to tell other people is you got to reflect on the experience after. We work it up in our head and then we don't do it. And then it, it reinforces like, it's good that you didn't do that marketing podcast because it would have gone horribly when it went awesome. It was an awesome podcast and, you know, it was probably like a nine out of 10. And this is, I think this is going well. Maybe, maybe I'll find out it's not after, but you, you at least have to try because I like the video game analogy. You find things on level one that you're going to use on level seven. Yes. You don't know you're going to use them and you don't even know they matter, but eventually you get down the line and you're like, oh, I have this sword. I've had the sword since level one. I can use this now. And you can't use what you don't pick up along the way. So you got to give it a try and try to reflect on my emotions before were this, my emotions after were this. If it's uh, gratitude and gratefulness, I'm grateful I did it. That's a good sign that you're probably tricking yourself out of trying a lot of things that you might love, you might be great at. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that, yes, the interview is going really well. I'm enjoying it thoroughly. (laughs) I'm sure the seven hatters will say the same. What I love about this interview is again, I'm going to mention the, you know, the, it's the authenticity, it's the realness. So often we look at success from the outside in mm-hmm. and we see someone who has what we don't have and believe that they have no issues, they have no problems. And you know what? For the most part, they'll tell you that. They'll go on Instagram, rent a $5,000 mansion, rent a $4,000 a day Ferrari, stand in front and talk about how awesome they are, how awesome their life is to sell you something, right? Mm -hmm. Rarely do we have entrepreneurs who lay it on the line and say, you know what? I'm just fucking doing this day by day trying to figure it out. You know, if you ask Elon Musk as an example, rich, rich is supposedly the richest man in the world, and he told you the truth, I guarantee you he would say, you know, I'm just trying to figure this fucking thing out, (laughs) you know? And that's, and that's the realness of it. And I think that's what the seven hatters for sure, but entrepreneurs and and others relate to. It's the authenticity. So I want to touch upon, I know we're running out a little bit out of time, but I want to touch upon 
a subject that I'm passionate about and you're passionate about, and that's podcasting. Mm. Because I have a couple of questions on podcasting as a subject matter. So you help entrepreneurs stop start their podcast. That's kind of one of the courses and, and fundamental trainings that you uh, offer as a service. Mm -hmm. I started mine about a year ago, and I can tell you with certainty, it is not a hobby, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, pot, if you're gonna have a podcast, it is not a hobby. It's a real commitment and a labor of love, especially if you're looking to create a podcast with high quality production value, like you know yours and, our, and, and the Seven Hats is. What advice would you give those who wanna start a podcast, but they're debating if it's the best move for them? I would say the advice I would give would be a question. Uh, number one, why are you looking to start? Number two, are you obsessed with serving the people you wanna start this for? And number three, are you in it for the long run? Uh, so many people start it because it's like, yeah, this is, it's the new thing to do. It is not the new thing to do. It's the new thing to do for some people, but it's not, it's not the, uh, the thing that's going to make you blow up. That's always my thing is like, why are you doing this? And a lot of people say networking, fine, you can get away with that. But if it's not to serve your audience, so that would be my advice. Make sure your ultimate goal is to serve your audience deeper than anybody else can because that's a responsibility. That is a, that is a heavy responsibility. But if you take pride in it, you can do great things. You can really do great things. And don't ever undervalue one person. Mm. People say, oh, I only have 20, you know, I'm only gonna have 15 listens. When's the last time you spoke to a classroom of 15 people? Exactly. It's a lot of people. Yeah, It's a lot of people. So those would be, those would be pieces of advice. And the biggest ones don't miss. Your pot, treat your podcast like a business. If I go to a business and I want a pizza, I go to John's Pizza Shop and it's closed. I'm going to Steve's Pizza Shop or Christina's Pizza Shop down the street. I may never go back to that pizza shop. Podcasting's the same way. If you're not there, they're gonna go find somebody else and they may never come back to you. Consistency matters way more than you realize until it's too late usually. Here's the word consistency again. Just keeps on popping up. <laughs> it's, the, it's the one. It's the one. Uh, why should entrepreneurs who are already busy though, right? They're running their business. They don't even have time to take a pee in the afternoon, right? What's yeah. the greatest gain in starting a podcast for an entrepreneur that you've seen so far? Um, I would say content. I mean, either way, you're going to have to produce content. You might as well get 10 outputs out of one input of your time. That's one. The second one is it helps you build your area of expertise. We are, so your Instagram, your podcast, your social media are quickly becoming your resume. So you talking on a certain subject will help people believe that you're the expert. And then this is for, for us and from what I've seen, it helps you build like a real community. Yeah. So if you're a small business owner, no matter what it is, you can talk directly to your community. You can get feedback directly through your community. And then at a deeper level, you can use your podcast to start solving your community's problems, yeah. which will help them rebuy into you as a brand or a business. And long-term, they'll continue tuning in. The person who adds the most value wins eventually. And with a podcast, the seven hatters are tuning into you for an hour a week, two hours a week, three hours a week. It's not like that on social media. It's double tap on, double yeah. tap on. So it's a great way to build a real authentic, long form relationship. And it's easier than it's ever been. You can get so much out of a half hour of your time. So much out of a half hour of your, a half hour of your time. So much. What, what do you, how do you help entrepreneurs start a podcast? How deep do you go? Is it from zero to 100? Is, do they already have to start something? Where, where do you help them? Uh, yeah, we do everything. I've, I've hopped on the, po uh, on the phone or on Zoom with people who are like, I have an idea for a podcast. And I literally, I help them come up with a name. I help them choose intro music. I help them write scripts. Every, yeah, we do the artwork, get them on YouTube, all that stuff. And then we've had other people who are seasoned podcasters who say, well, I just don't want to do the audio editing and video editing. And I'm like, cool, we'll do that too. So it really, the goal is, and it started from a place of, so many people have messages and they have this mission that they want to get out there, but the average podcaster lasts between seven and 21 episodes. It's not because podcasting isn't fun. It's because everything else kind of sucks. And that's just, nobody wants to podcast and then learn to video edit necessarily. 
So yeah, for us, it's how do we help people sustain their shows? Mm -hmm. No matter where you are, we can find a way to help you, whether you're starting or seasoned. I love that. And so, I mean, most, most shows really, it's called pod fade. Mm -hmm. They don't last more than seven or 10 shows. There's probably about three or 4 million podcasts out there and probably only 700,000 that really matter because they're, they're consistently producing, but you know, you're doing something that many don't and that's production on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Now at a thousand plus shows, how do you keep the motivation, the excitement, the gusto going with you and Alan? Because eventually you're kind of saying the same thing over and over again in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Uh, and but you need to show up, right? Fully present. How do you deal with that? And 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 what's that mindset like right now? If you asked this even two weeks ago, the answer would be would be completely different. There's always a new challenge. So Alan and I had this realization the other day. I said those are the best episodes we've ever recorded. And Alan's like, why? Because we've talked about it before. It's not like we've never talked about fear chasing. And I said, because we were the most transparent, to your point, authenticity, and we weren't performing. Mm. We're actually just being ourselves, talking about what we love, and with the ultimate goal of value in mind. So it's changed, right? Like at one point it was, well, we got 50 listens yesterday, so we got to keep going. And then it was, we got more listens in a day than we got in our first year. Like yeah. that's awesome. But now it's become, this is who I am. I am a, I am, my identity is a podcaster who podcasts every day. I come up with the titles. I come up with the, the episodes. I name them. I do all that. That's who I am now. So in a way it's harder than it's ever been, but it's also easier than it's ever been. Cause I'm always thinking of how does this story relate to our audience? And the motivation is, I love it. I love it. Some days it sucks and I don't <laughs> want to do it obviously, but I love doing it. And Let's make it full circle. I have a business partner who won't let me miss, and he has a business partner who won't, who won't let him miss. We would have missed by now if we were on our own, for sure, 100%. Yeah. But that was our commitment is we're, we don't start things unless we intend on doing them forever. And we're not going to stop. And if I have to record by myself, I'll do it. If Alan has to record by himself, if I have to record from the hospital, whatever, <laughs> we're going to make sure that episode gets out there because that's who we are. And my community, our community motivates me. That's, that's one of the biggest motivators. I love that. We had accountability, consistency, support, mm. right? One last question on podcasting. I think the, one of the scariest aspects of podcasting for me a year ago was because I was creating a mixed show, but mostly hosted. So mm. I was hosting the show. Who's going to want to come on? And mm. how am I going to get these people to actually take time out of their day to spend with me. Tell us a little bit about that and what would you recommend to ease that fear for those uh, aspiring podcast hosts? Yeah, uh, now is the easiest time ever. There are so many services that are literally set up. It's like a dating app for yeah, podcasters. Matchmaker. But <laughs> Matchmaker, you yeah. got Podmatch, you got yeah. podcastguest.com. People understand, especially podcast guests, understand how impactful a podcast appearance can be. So all you have to do is just make sure it's a win-win. As somebody who goes on a lot of shows, I did like 30 shows this week. I'm not thinking of how many listeners you have. I don't care. I don't ask. I, don't, I could care less. For me, it's about mastery, but it's not yeah. for everybody. So just understand what unique value do you pose to your potential guests. And there are so many people. It's easy. It's easier than it's ever been. If that's your fear, you're going to be fine go get on one of these platforms and there will be people reaching out to you for sure. I'm sure you've probably had similar experience and you're at the point where you can really filter, which I think is great. But if you're not matchmaker, podmatch, podcastguest.com, you're going to be just fine. Yep. I mean, I thank you for that. It's absolutely true for me. I remember the first, cause I started with three episodes mm -hmm. and you know, I took courses. I kind of studied everything about podcasting, got all the equipment was ready to go, but my purpose was to create the best show mm. that I could create that adds the most value that is unique in this industry. Because I've always asked that first question. There are so many podcasts out there. Why do we need another one? Mm. If you can't answer that question, you're probably going to need to rethink that a little bit mm. and just yeah. make sure that you're unique. You don't want to be the same as everybody else. And so I remember the first few weeks, 
the first few months, I was desperately trying to get any guest. And luckily I had incredible guests come through. And that's just luck. I mean, literally luck because no one kind of knew who I was, but I was able to convince those that were above my ladder mm. to be able to, to come on the show. But once your show hits a little bit and people realize, wait a second, you have a quality show, there's value, because it's all about them, it's not about you. Yeah. If they feel that they can benefit from your show, then like you said, you can filter it out. Because for me, I have 52 weeks, I can only take mm -hmm. 52 people. Yeah. And I, just like you, you probably have 10, 20 people a day request to be, be on your show and you just have to say no to so many of them. Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, I, I agree with you. For the entrepreneur, if you can start a podcast, it would be the best thing that you can ever do for your business. Just do it right, mm -hmm. get the right theme, don't be like anyone else, produce a great show, and speak with Kevin and Alan on how to do it because they'll show you how to do it Thank you, my friend. the right way. So I'd like to close out my interviews with the following question. Who did you have to stop being and who did you need to become to manifest your current success? That's a wonderful question. Uh, most of my life, I have been the underdog and I wore that, that cape with pride. I had to stop identifying as the underdog and start identifying as the guide, not even the hero, the guide. I am still an underdog and I have the fighter underdog mentality, but I don't have the identity of that. And I think those are two different things. The identity is who I am to my core. The mentality is what I tap into to think of sometimes. I had to stop acting and living like an underdog and really start living and acting like a guide. I love that answer. I love it. My latest show is Darren LaCroix, total underdog story. If you can listen to the ending, especially, we speak about Rudy, Rudiger, the movie, mm -hmm. one of my favorite and most inspirational stories. And with heart and consistency and effort and determination and willpower, sheer willpower and the support of others, you can achieve what you may not believe is possible early on in your career. And you're a perfect example of that. Thank you. Kevin, Thank you. tell the seven hatters what you're up to. Tell them how to start listening to your podcast <laughs> if they have not already. I'm sure many have. Uh, yeah. Next Level University, if you search us, we, we should come up. We're on all the major podcast platforms and all the, all the platforms, really. And then we're also on YouTube. And if you want to connect with me, you can just reach out to me directly at NeverQuitKid on Instagram. That's the best place. I do my social media. I do my DMs. I'll get back to you. And I'm always happy to answer any questions. I, I believe value first. You got questions on podcasting, send them. You got whatever, whatever you need. I'm, I'm there to help. I want to help as many people as I can. So thank you. I love that. And, and when I, one thing I loved... You said something really cool. You said, look, we produce guides and trainings, et cetera. And, you know, obviously that's an investment in your career and in your, in, in, your, in your life. But if you can't afford it, just mm. listen to the podcast yep. because we'll add value. I yep. love, love, love that. So, thank Kevin, thank you so much for gracing us on The Seven Hats. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the conversation if you and Alan start debating which <laughs> podcast was the better one, I'm not going to tell you, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you guys did a fantastic job. And I'm glad that we've had both of you on the show. Again, Kevin, thank you so much. Thank you, Yuval. This was truly wonderful. Uh, your community is very, very lucky to have somebody like you leading them and guiding them in this way. And I, I appreciate this opportunity more than you know. Thank you, Kevin. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kevin. Let's end today with a show segment that I refer to as What Can We Hang Our Hat On? And here is my takeaway. During my conversation with Kevin, one topic that particularly caught my attention was the search for significance among entrepreneurs. This topic frequently arises in my discussions with entrepreneurs and it's notable how the lack of significance can often trigger an existential crisis, even if the entrepreneur achieves everything that they once desired. As a result, many entrepreneurs find themselves feeling trapped, hopeless, and overwhelmed at certain moments. You know, the search for significance is often intertwined with the desire to create something of value 
that will positively impact the world. And many entrepreneurs start their businesses to solve a problem or meet a need in society. However, as their businesses grow and become more successful, they may lose sight of this initial purpose and focus solely on the reward and financial gains. As many of you know, this was my curse and why I, as Kevin did, hit rock bottom and why I created the seven ads. After a while, my work lacked significance and I experienced feeling of emptiness, restlessness, and disillusionment. I felt trapped in a cycle of working tirelessly without seeing the impact that I was hoping to make. And that led me to burnout. For me, the antidote was to work on four core hats. Hat number one, the soul, which pushed me to love myself and spend time on mindset, belief, and my why. Hat number two, the athlete, forced me to start moving and take care of the vessel that allows me to get up each morning to work on my goals. Hat three, the servant, helped me connect with others that supported my journey and provided the love that I needed to heal. And of course, hat number seven, the seeker, allowed me to spend time with my higher power and showed me that the experiences that I encountered in this three-dimensional material world that we call Earth were just that, experiences. Ultimately, the physical accolades, the rewards, they stay here, while the experiences come with us wherever we go on our journey once it's expired. When I followed my path with a different set of glasses, I found a greater sense of fulfillment and meaning in my work, and significance was a byproduct. I wanted to thank Kevin once again for joining me so we can all benefit from his wisdom. And until next time, if you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there what value you receive from it so we can attract even more high-quality people into our Seven Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success on your journey. And until next time, my name is Yuval Selleck, and I tip my hat to you.